Welcome to Nika in the Know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. So much is changing in the realm of the coronavirus pandemic that today we're releasing another special edition episode to talk about the newest COVID-19 vaccine approved for use in the U.S., the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. With me, as always, is John Farragon. All right, John, let's just dive right in. All right. Sounds good, Mariana. So I hope you're having a good day and hope everybody uh, listening today is having a good day as well. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about the the Johnson & Johnson or the Janssen uh, vaccine and Again, thanks for having me to, to talk about this today. Um, so right now, I think uh, most people working in, in the HIV field and and um, and any working with any chronic illness are, are working hard to be sure that the COVID nineteen vaccines are distributed to people who need them. Um, you know, many of us working in healthcare have already received the, the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccine. You know, but there really are um, uh, there is a obviously a, a, an unmet need, and there's more vaccines that are going to be needed. Uh, to vaccinate just, not just the United States population, but also we have to think about um, our global population as well. Um, so the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines have been reviewed in detail in a previous special edition that we did a few weeks ago um, in our in one of our podcasts, Nika in the Know. And I think uh, we're going to cover most of the information today um, is going to be from the emergency use authorization uh, that's been approved by the FDA. So these aren't formal FDA approvals per se, but the FDA offers um, uh offers what we call an emergency use authorization, which allows uh, the, uh, the, the vaccines to be, to be approved uh, um, without a full formal FDA approval that you would normally go through for, for a drug. So again, it doesn't, doesn't mean that people haven't reviewed it. The data is out there and, and there's, a, there's a panel that actually looks at it and the FDA does look at the data uh, very closely and, and most importantly, looking at safety. Um, but just know that these, uh, these FDA briefing documents, I think, are really helpful to kind of get a sense of, of, of what's in what's in that inf- information. So um, not a formal approval, but EUA is, is pretty much the next best thing. Uh, and that's happened with a lot of the a lot of the therapeutics and a lot of the vaccines that, that we've had so far from the FDA. So, John, we've all heard that the Johnson & Johnson shot is just one dose, unlike the Pfizer and the Moderna thus far, which have required two. What else is unique about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine? Yes, so that's right, Mariana. So, so basically, the most important thing is, you know, this is a single shot. So, so that is actually uh, important. Um, though there is a, uh, uh, a second shot vaccination study that's going on with the Janssen or the J&J, uh, right now, um, this will be a kind of a one and done strategy. So as we all know, uh, many of you know um, so far that the Pfizer and the Moderna are, are both two shot vaccines, um, three weeks separation for the, for the Pfizer and a four week separation for the Moderna. Uh, both of them roughly around 95% effective uh, in reducing cases of severe COVID-19 disease. But but the, the J&J the, or the Janssen, and I'll, and I'll use those interchangeably throughout the rest of the podcast today. Um, in addition to just being one dose, the J&J does not require freezing like the Moderna vaccine. And also recall, at least in the very beginning, the Pfizer required that ultra deep storage uh, freezing. And that's actually been changed in the FDA label now. It can actually just do regular freezer uh, free, freezer storage for, for Pfizer. Uh, but, but just know that um, uh, the other thing it's a lot different about these that the Pfizer actually requires reconstitution. And many of you who've gotten the vaccine may not even realize this, but in, in the background, um, before the doses are drawn up, there's somebody diluting the Pfizer vaccine 
um, vials before they're actually further drawing out, out the doses. So that's another really difficult step with the Pfizer. Um, and all of those things, all of those, those potential, not really problems, but you know, little, little um, uh, things to make it a little bit more difficult are not, not issues with, with the J&J. So the J&J really does not require that the, the, um, the ultra deep uh, uh, freezing doesn't require um, uh, that reconstitution and, and, and it's one shot. So the other thing I think that's also important for people to realize is that the technology is different as well for, for the J&J. Um, the J&J vaccine does not utilize this mRNA technology, which we went in detail, I think, over in the, in, in the last special edition that we did. Um, so in order to reduce, to use, to, to produce that immune response um, for, for the spike protein, which is uh, what the, what the J&J vaccine is doing, it uses a different technology uh, using uh, what we call a vector uh, vaccine. And we'll talk a little bit about that in, in a second. Um, but really, you know, more to come on that. But I think, you know, the, those are the, those are some of the big differences that uh, between the Moderna and Pfizer versus the, uh, versus the, the Johnson and Johnson. I think a question on a lot of people's minds is how effective is the J&J vaccine? You know, how does this new one compare to the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines? Yes, yeah, so that's a, it's a really good question, Mariana. And it's, and it's something I think that's been coming up not only in, um, uh, in, in the lay press, but also even, even in, in some of the, some of the national experts that you listen to it and, and you hear them talk. Uh, and, and this is certainly something that they're discussing. So the one thing I want to make sure everybody's clear about is that the, um, it's really hard to, to compare studies, right? The, the timing of these studies were done differently. Um, the populations are different. So if you look at the Pfizer, Moderna versus J&J, you know, there was um, um, some, the J&J actually data was actually collected later than the Pfizer and Moderna. So there might've been circulating variants, which made, made, it, made a difference. But at the end of the day, um, I think anybody who's getting these vaccines need to think in their mind that these three vaccines are, are really equivalent uh, in, in protecting people, and especially protecting people against death from, from COVID-19 and also from, for, for severe cases of COVID. Um, but so far, the data release, if you look overall at the, at the data that's been released so far, that the one shot um, in, in, the, in the data that they presented to the FDA produced what we, well, a 66% reduction in preventing moderate to severe COVID-19 cases, all right? So those are actually confirmed cases of, uh, of, of COVID-19, moderate to severe. So now obviously in the Moderna and the Pfizer, they came up with a difference of roughly 95%. But again, also it's important to note that the J&J vaccine, uh, you know, um, was while it was being conducted, while potentially more difficult to treat, so-called variants could have been circulating in places outside of the US. So when they re-looked at the data, they also looked at the United States and showed that the efficacy rates rose to 72%. Um, and outside of the US, the efficacy rates fell to 66% in Latin America and 57% in, in, in South America. Um, so, um, uh, so, so that's really, really, really the, the big concern. So all of these numbers are really based on, on, on rates 28 days post-vaccination. So if you look in the US, a different cut of this data, I think is really an important one is that if you look at just severe disease, so instead of looking at moderate to severe, but just look at severe disease, the J&J uh, vaccine was 85% effective overall. And um, as I read the data, I think it's really clear um, that there has not been one person in the J&J or in the Johnson & Johnson, um, uh, the Janssen vaccine who actually died of COVID-19 in the group that actually got the vaccine. So I think that's the most important piece, at least right now in my mind, I think we're really trying to make sure that as many people get vaccinated with regard with, you know, regardless of which one you actually wind up receiving, 
know that at the end of the day, in all, all these studies, there's been no patients actually died of COVID-19, complications of COVID-19, who have actually gotten um, the vaccine in, in, any of the, in any of the trials. And that was true of the of the J&J. We need some more data, I think, to see if the asymptomatic uh, spread is reduced. And some of that data is starting to happen. And even some changes from the CDC recently have kind of suggested that. But right now, I think the mortality difference is really an important piece for us to be to be focused on. So, so to be very, very clear, right, not one patient died of COVID-19 who received um, Moderna, Pfizer, or, or the Johnson, Johnson & Johnson. So um, I think the other thing that comes up with, with all of this is, you know, what are we looking for in a vaccine trial, right? What are we trying to prevent? And I think at the end of the day, if we prevented mortality from people from dying from COVID-19, I think that's really, uh, really the most important piece. And severe COVID, where the patients get, uh, get admitted and sometimes wind up in the ICU, those numbers are very good for all three vaccines. And I think that's an that's probably the most important piece and the most important takeaway. So please don't don't come away thinking that that the that the J and J or the Janssen vaccine is not as effective as as the other ones. We can't compare the three studies; they're all they're all different populations. But more importantly, the the crux of it, which is really the mortality piece, is there's really no difference in, in all three vaccines. Yeah, that sounds great, John. Um, I think some folks listening may want to know more about how the studies were conducted. So can you comment on that? Yeah, I, I certainly can. One of the things that as of today's uh, podcast, um, there really hasn't been a, um, a peer-reviewed publication uh, of the final uh, analysis of the of the data set from, from, from Janssen. So what we have to do is we have to look at those briefing documents that they sent to the FDA, and they're all in public public domain, you can go search for them and find them. But there really has a lot of information in there. It's a very long document. But the study that, that the approval was based on, that the, that the emergency use authorization was approved on, is called the study 3001. It was a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled study that looked at what we're going to call the 8026 COVID-2S vaccine. So that 8026 COVID-2S vaccine, that's basically the Johnson & Johnson or the Janssen vaccine administered as a single dose in, in people who are 18 years of age. So they targeted, um, they wanted to have roughly 40,000 adults randomized either one-to-one to receive the IM injection of either vaccine or placebo. Um, I think what's interesting, a little bit different in this protocol versus some of the other ones uh, versus Pfizer and Moderna, they actually had some pre-enrollment targets as part of the protocol. So they were trying to get at least 30% of the study population um, to be at least 60 years of, uh, or, or older. And the enrollment uh, of participants uh, 18 to 40 uh, years of age was actually limited, limited to approximately 20%. And when you look at those briefing documents, you can go through and look at all the comorbidities that, that, that people had in the study. So two primary endpoints were either efficacy of a single dose of vaccine uh, to prevent moderate to severe slash critical COVID-19 occurring at least 14 days after vaccination and also at 28 days after vaccination. So the data um, that was actually presented to the FDA uh, included just over 39,000 people who were randomized to either vaccine or, or placebo with a median follow-up time of about two months post-vaccination. And that two-month post-vaccination is also similar to the data that was presented from Moderna and Pfizer at the time when they, when they got their emergency use authorization. So as we stated earlier, if you look at the overall numbers based on the primary endpoint for moderate to severe critical COVID-19, the reductions were 67% at 14 days and uh, 66% at, um, at, at 28 days after vaccination. But again, as I mentioned before, looking closer at the severe critical 
uh, COVID-19, which I think are the more concerning cases, um, that vaccine efficacy rose to 85%. And, and actually right now, um, um, the most recent data is actually through, through early February. And there were actually only, um, only seven COVID-19 related deaths in the study uh, in the placebo group, but there was no COVID-19 related deaths in the people who got vaccine. And interestingly enough, those, those seven deaths that occurred um, they occurred in the placebo group and, and were in uh, in study sites that were in South Africa. And, and as I mentioned before, I and I, I, I may have said South America, but I meant to say South Africa, um, that efficacy rate was 57% in South, in South Africa. So that's, that's the most uh, important piece is that those numbers are actually a lot, um, a lot worse from the, uh, from the, from the South, uh, South Africa. Uh, area. And again, that's where all the deaths occur, occurred as well. And again, most of those patients had one or more comorbidities as well, which placed them at higher risk for severe COVID-19. Um, so we're not going to go into, into detail, significant details on the variants. I think this is an ongoing uh, topic and certainly the B117 um, is, is, the, is the UK variant, which I think everybody's most concerned about. But again, um, know that the the um, some of the, the 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 variants that were sequenced in the study uh, showed that that 614G, which is the common one in the United States, that was about 96% of the of the cases. That the 351, the B1351 in South Africa, that was 95% of the cases, and then the variant the P2, which is in Brazil, that was about 70% uh, of, of the cases. And so far, based on the data that we've seen so far, there's been no cases identified as that B117. Uh, which is that UK variant that a lot of people are, are concerned of and, and no P1 variants. So for those of you who don't know the variant information, just go to the CDC. If you search COVID-19 variants and go to the CDC website, there's a lot of great information. It actually has all the rates in the United States as well um, and in other places as well. There's a nice discussion about you know, what we know so far about the variants. The CDC is trying to update that data on a regular basis. But you know, we'll, not a lot of time spent on that, but know that there were some of these um, some of these other uh, concerning variants, I think, that were in these studies, which may have resulted in the overall rate uh, being 66% versus, you know, for the severe uh, disease being, you know, 85%, much higher, obviously, if you look at severe COVID cases. All right. Now, the thing on everyone's mind, side effects. What kinds of things can people getting the J&J vaccine expect to experience? Yeah, so I, I think these are all typical of what you'd expect, Brianna. So, the injection site pain, 49%, headache, 39%, fatigue, 30%, uh, myalgia is 33%. These are the predominantly um, most common adverse events. They're uh, virtually all mild to moderate. Um, there were some uh, uh, grade three reactions, which are the worst reactions. It's roughly less than one or 2% of people um, had some local and systemic um, adverse reactions. One of the things about vaccines when they're new, there always is a potential risk of some people having what we call anaphylaxis, which is a which is a rare side effect, and it's been reported with Moderna and also with with the with the Pfizer, and I'm sure we'll see this here with the uh, with the J and J vaccine as well. Uh, but just know, I think that you know the the reactions, especially those more severe reactions, usually they occur within the first 15 minutes to a half an hour. So if you're monitoring people after they get the vaccine for 15 to 30 minutes, you're likely going to picture you're likely going to pick that up when the patient uh, actually gets gets the vaccine. Um, so, so adverse events, I think, are always there, but I think um, the benefits clearly outweigh the risks here with, um, uh, with, with, with all of these vaccines, including the, the Janssen one. 
Okay, so you mentioned that this is not an mRNA vaccine. Can you tell folks a little bit about how exactly the J&J vaccine works? Yeah, so I, I was joking as I, as I went through this, thinking about, you know, this is the reality of a podcast, right? I don't have a diagram to show people, right? And some of you maybe, uh, you know, maybe maybe want a diagram, and there are some out there. So if you search um, the the AD26, which is an adenovirus, and just as a, just, just to tell you what, it, what AD26 is, that's basically... Um, it's, a, it's a common uh, virus that, that we know that can actually cause cold-like symptoms. And what they do is basically they, they change the, the virus so that it doesn't cause um, cold-like symptoms. It doesn't make people sick, right? So they kind of reduce its, um, its potency kind of. And then basically they take the AD26 and, and they use that as a vector. So what they do is they, they basically take out the, the genetic code for the spike protein um, out, of, out of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, and they basically kind of put it into this, this virus, this AD26 virus, all right? And what they use, and then what they do then, is that they take this virus with the code inside of it for the, for the spike protein, and they basically inject that. That's what gets injected into the person. And then basically what happens is the, the, um, the virus infects a cell, um, the, 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 the virus actually uncoats, drops off that genetic code, uh, that information for the spike protein to be produced. And then your, the cells actually produce a spike protein. The spike protein um, gets attacked by antibodies and antibodies get produced against it. And then that's how the vaccine kind of works. And the next time when you get infected down the road, you would have an antibody response that your body would remember. All right. So basically this, this AD26, I, I think of it as almost like um, if you remember the, uh, the movie Contact, right? Remember when they brought um, they, they, they brought her to the other, to the other, um, uh, to the other planet, right. Th through that little vessel. Think of like the, the, um, uh, Jodie Foster is kind of like the, the gene and on the outside is the, the, the vector, the 80, the 80, 26 is kind of like the vessel that they, that they brought her to the other place with. And that's a way to think about it. And, and a lot of people worry about these, these platforms because they will, you know, have they been used before? And, and this actually has in fact been used for the Ebola virus, um, vaccine regimen, uh, that's that's approved in Europe has used this platform Zika, um, filovirus, HIV uh, for some of the investigation ones, HPV, malaria, respiratory RSV, sorry, uh, respiratory syncytial virus have all used this AD26 platform. So I want people to realize that the AD26 uh, based vaccines have been used in nearly uh, close to 200,000 participants in clinical studies and vaccination programs over the years. So um, again, more, there's if you search AD26 vaccines, you can, you can get more information on that on, online. All right. So we've gone through the differences between the three vaccines, how the J&J study was conducted, effectiveness, side effects. Do you have any other thoughts before we wrap up? Um, yeah. So, so again, I just, again, uh, to summarize some of the practical points, right? The, this AD26, uh, the COVID-2S uh, vaccine, so the J&J, the Janssen, the it's a single IM injection of 0.5 mLs. Um, also, the Moderna is a 0.5 mLs. Pfizer is a 0.3 mLs, so it's a little bit smaller volume. Uh, but this is the 0.5 for, for the for the Janssen. Uh, it has a shelf life of about three months when it's stored um, at two to eight degrees Celsius. Uh, the vaccine does not require or does not contain a preservative, so uh, it does not require freezing or ultra cold storage. And then no reconstitution is needed, which is a little bit of advantage over the Pfizer. And just a few comments on storage and practical issues, I think, for people who are vaccinating. Um, so this vaccine is provided as a refrigerated suspension. It's actually going to be provided in a multi-dose vial that's going to contain five doses. 
So it's roughly um, a little over 2.5 mL. So 0.5 mL times five doses in each vial. Vials should be protected from light. Unpunctured vials can be stored uh, at room temperature for up to 12 hours. That's a controlled room temperature. Um, after that first dose has been withdrawn from the vial though, however, the vial is, should be held either um, uh, in, in a refrigerator for up to six hours or a room temperature for up to two hours. All right, so that's really important. It's only good for two hours at room temperature once you puncture that vial. And the vials really should be discarded if the vaccine is not used within these time periods. So that's one of the things we worry. Obviously, we don't want to waste any of these doses, so just be just be aware of that. And again, it's administered as a single, uh, single IM injection. And I think the, the most important thing here, I think um, for, for some, of the, some of the practical pieces and some of the key points is really that, um, you know, what we're looking for in, in some of these uh, vaccines is really just to make sure that, that they are protecting people against severe COVID-19 and also uh, preventing death. And, and I think if you look at that, all, all these vaccines are 100% effective in preventing death because no one has died from COVID-19 in any of these vaccine trials. So again, um, when you look at severe COVID-19, uh, it, it's 80, it's 85%, 85%. So really, really, I think good numbers um, uh, for us to kind of uh, be aware of um, for, uh, for, for the, for the Janssen, Janssen vaccine. So really, really does work quite well. I know there might be some concern about vac vaccine hesitancy with some of, uh, with, with any of the vaccines, but in particular, potentially with this one, because of what's out there. But again, at the end of the day, you know, really, any, all these vaccines are, are have, have all been studied in different populations. You're going to get different different results from, from different studies. I think the bottom line is is that the you know from from a from preventing death, it's 100 percent uh, for all three of the vaccines from from COVID 19. I think that's really our, our most important piece. And I think that's kind of our I want to say our barometer, right, or, or our, our metric that we want to really think about when we're looking at, at these vaccines and, and how they work and how effective they are. One other point I would just make too is that a lot of people worry that sometimes the safety um, may have been, uh, been kind of skirted or, or pushed to the side. I mean, so we're talking about close to 40,000 patients, 20 over 20, close to 20,000 patients got each of these vaccines roughly in, in all three of these different, uh, all three of these different vaccines. And I think the way that they've done structured the studies is that they really are ongoing studies that have been overlapped that they normally don't do with vaccines. They normally do one piece of the study at a time, but they kind of overlapped all of these different, um, all these different protocols at the same time to, to kind of get the information out more, more quickly. So I don't want anybody to come away thinking that any of these vaccines are not safe. Uh, and I, I really hope that anybody who's listening today uh, would encourage people to get vaccinated regardless of which one they receive um, uh, from, from their vaccination site. Thank you so much, John. I personally am really glad that there's a new option coming out for folks looking to get vaccinated from COVID-19, and we're getting one immense step closer to beating this pandemic. We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about Nika AETC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.nikaaetc.org. That's www.nikaaetc.org. If you have questions or comments about anything that we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, please don't hesitate to email us at podcast at nikaaetc.org. That's P-O-D. C-A-S-T at NikaAETC.org. Stay safe and we'll see you on Thursday for our regularly scheduled episode of Nika in the Know.
This presentation is supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.